Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Still Watching The Mandalorian. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I am Anthony Bresnikan, a special correspondent at Vanity Fair. And we are here to talk about Chapter 7, The Reckoning. The Reckoning. That sounds very apocalyptic. <laughs> Directed by Deborah Chow. Written by John Favreau. Uh, this is one of my favorite episodes of The Mandalorian. Are you it's excited? Uh, I'm excited, and it made me even more excited for the Obi-Wan series, because yes. Deborah Chow did such a great job with, uh, I guess it was episode three, right? And then, uh, and now episode seven, and I think really showed, those are two very different types of stories structurally, and I think, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'm definitely uh, even more enthusiastic for what she's going to do with that new series, but this was a great episode. Yeah, this, uh, you know, we'll get into some of the deeper stuff of this episode, like, cause I think this episode really addresses some of the criticisms that had been sort of building in me in the middle stretch of Mandalorian. 
this episode really hit some of those, which is great. Um, but I remember when I was watching episode three, I thought it was really cool that they give like the big shootout episode. Cause that's the episode that ends with like all the Mandalorians coming out and the big, you know, mm-hmm. jetpack fight. I thought it was really cool that they gave, you know, their female director, this big sort of action heavy episode to direct because oftentimes like female directors are relegated to more emotional episodes or that sort of thing. Um, and then in this episode too, it has a lot of great action. There's that great, like, I'm going to call it the pterodactyl attack. And once again, I was like, they let Deb Chow do this too. Like monster attack, great. nighttime monster raid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and, she did and, a great and, job. And if, yeah, she, she absolutely did. And, and, you know, going back to our previous episode when, uh, you know, we interviewed her, she talked about her dad, like her dad's influence on on Chapter Three. Yeah, dad was a big Hong Kong movie fan, and I think I think you know we we sometimes assume, as you said, oh well, the female director is there for the the touchy feely, the sweetheart baby Yoda stuff, but uh, she developed a love of like insane Hong Kong <laughs> action and martial arts fighting and 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 uh, uh, wild gun fights from her dad's love of action movies and. Uh, you know, good for good for her because she's. Uh, I think uh, she said it was very important that she just be seen as a director, and uh, yeah. res- respect that. Not as a female director, not as an Asian American director, but uh, she also said, you know, it is important. This is her career and other people's careers too. So if she can break down a gate and let some other people in, or show uh, that all sorts of people can tell these stories, then then that's like a bonus and and also pretty wonderful. I'm just remember reminded of what, you know, because this is something that Star Wars as a franchise has been grappling with, you know, like Deb, uh, Deborah Chow and Bryce Ellis Howard both worked on The Mandalorian, but, you know, there still has yet to be a woman directing a feature film of uh, Star Wars. Yeah. And when a lot of that debate was first starting to kick up a couple of years ago about like female directors and, and Star Wars, one, I can't remember who said it. I was some, it was just like super tone deaf, not, and I don't think it was from a person that I like generally think is tone deaf. It was a real tone deaf comment, but it was something like, well, I just don't think women are interested in directing those kinds mm. of movies. And I was just like, Oh my God, what are you talking about? So, um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see Deb Chow just swoop in and really like say, no, you know what? And Bryce Dallas Howard too. There's, there's great action in Bryce's episode too, but like that, you know, you know what? Like, Yes. Guess what? Women are humans and humans have all kinds of different interests. So here we are, you know? Yeah. I found the quote just to make sure that I'm accurately quoting this person. It was former, former Star Wars director, once and former Star Wars director, Colin Trevorrow himself, who Uh-oh. said, <laughs> uh, I want to believe that a filmmaker with both the desire and ability to make a studio blockbuster will be given an opportunity to make their case. He tweeted this. I stress desire because I honestly think that's part of the issue. Many of the top female directors in our industry are not interested in doing a piece of studio business for its own sake. These filmmakers have clear voices and stories to tell that don't necessarily well, yeah. involve involve superheroes or spaceships or dinosaurs. Well, I guess I I guess I just stepped in it then because No, I, was- <laughs> I don't think you were I don't think you were quite saying what he was saying. And I think like once again, I think what what Trevor was dealing with there was like he he had been hired to direct episode nine and a lot of people were like Jeepers, what is it going to take to get a woman to direct a Star Wars movie? And he was feeling like that was personally sort of like his fault. And then, of course, he wound up not even getting to direct that movie. So, you know, it's all, it's all water under the, uh, under the bridge at this point anyway. I I guess I want to, as an addendum. Yeah. That's the, 
what I had said before was, and I do think it, it's, it's sort of parallels what he just said there, what he said a number of years ago, but, um, that is, that was one of the theories out there. But I think a theory disproven by the fact that, um, there are lots of women who want to direct Star Wars. So, um, uh, and they are doing it now. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, I think that theory has really kind of fallen apart. Yeah, and and <clears throat> thanks to Grace of like this. So, mm-hmm. great episode. Um the thing that this episode, you know, we'll get into some specifics, but overall the reason why this episode works so well for me is that um I think uh, though I've been enjoying the like month the adventure of the week format of the Mandalorian, the fact that this uh, episode draws back in these characters from the other series and the most some of the most successful characters. Like I love bringing back um Nick Nolte's character Quill and I um I love seeing Cara Dune back and I love you know seeing Grief Karga and the client like it's all they're all back and so then there's already we already know who they are we already care who they are um Quill is like I, I, I like when 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 it was clear that Quill was going to show up again I was like oh god you know what I kind of think he's my favorite character and then by the end of the episode I was like oh thanks the Mandalorian um, mm. but uh yeah. but you know what I mean like that that he had, that, he had spoken <laughs> so. that serialized quality allows for a more more impact like the bounty the, the adventure last week was really fun the sort of like heist adventure but if any you know when uh you know that the the male twilight character dies you're not feeling anything about it because you've just met him you know what i mean whereas yeah when kuil goes down or even the client even though the client's a bad guy you feel that loss because you're like ah Werner herzog i was invested in your appearance on this show sort of thing so i was invested in the cadence of the way you deliver <laughs> all of your lines <laughs> All right. So for the Star Wars ignorant among us, Anthony Bresnikin, can you run down for me? I think we get th- at least three different kinds of troopers in this episode. Can you run down for me what the three troopers we see in this episode are? Well, we see the traditional uh, beaten up original trilogy trooper. Right. Stormtrooper. Yes. Stormtroopers. Uh, we get... Scout troopers, yeah, who turned up in Return of the Jedi. They're kind of speeder bike operators, like biker troopers in a way. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then we get Christmas troopers. <laughs> death, <laughs> Wait, no, de- no. they're death troopers, right? Death troopers. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just joking. That's what I keep troopers. thinking whenever I see the red Sith troopers. I'm oh. like, how festive life day. <laughs> I always think of um they always look like the bottom of a like a Louboutin shoe, right? The they, red the Sith troopers? The, yeah, the yeah, red yeah. shiny red uh Sith troopers. Yeah. yeah. So Death but Troopers just Death Troopers those... who turned up in Rogue One. Uh, yeah. as uh as sort of like the special forces of uh director Krennic. So um the Scout Trooper one little fun fact about the Scout Troopers, and I love the Scout Troopers. I just like love their little helmets. I love the little like boxing thing on the scout trooper helmet uh but our our comedian cameo of the week this week is uh happy endings alum uh adam pally uh is voicing one of the scout troopers yeah. so that's our that's our little cameo this week they're not this isn't a very cameo heavy episode so i think that's no our, and do we think he was week. even in that suit I think no probably. i mean he, he he did a voiceover good yeah. job adam pally <laughs> um, yeah i'm sure it's it, great 
it's still fun to, to, you know, recognize the voice. So, okay. So those are our troopers that we get. Um, and then we get this new character, Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, who a lot of people know from Breaking Bad, but obviously has a long and storied career. Um, I love when Giancarlo, speaking of Christmas movies, I love it when Giancarlo Esposito shows up in like a cameo in Trading Places, uh, the Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd movie, and he's like impossibly young and you're like, oh, Giancarlo, hello. Um, that was an unnecessary side. I apologize. Uh, but, but, <laughs> so he shows up as like the big bad of the season. We see, we see the client go down and you're like, oh, I thought Werner Herzog was as big and as bad as it got. But here's Moff Gideon clearly much more in charge. And he does the classic uh bad guy move that I think Krennic, Kylo Ren, and Vader really made, uh, which is the departure from the Imperial ship. You know, like, I'm just going to land my ship right here. Boom, here I am. I'm scary. My outfit's fabulous. Here I am. Uh, what did you think of the introduction of, of Moff Gideon here? Very Gus Fring. Um, but it was interesting <laughs> because you talk about seeing young Giancarlo Esposito in, um, uh, in what was it? The, in Trading Places? Yeah, Trading Places. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just saw him again in one of my favorite scenes, uh, the, uh, the sequence where he confronts Danny Aiello in Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Spike Lee's film from 1989. So again, like, geez, 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, he uh he looks so different like he has changed so much and he hasn't like gained or lost weight it's no. just there's something about his face that has aged but but developed menace and he always was like he always played characters who had a sort of like a crackling edge to them like character and, and do the right thing is bugging out and he's the one who's kind of enjoying his pizza and he looks up at the wall and he sees like frank sinatra old blue eyes and uh you know who else is on there dean martin and he's like hey sal how come there's no brothers on the wall <laughs> and uh, and sal played by danny aiello and the reason i'm watching this of course is because Di- danny aiello just died just passed, sal, yeah. sal, sal gets in his face and it's like you know it's my pizzeria i put uh italian americans on the wall only and and the idea is well you know it's uh uh, most of your clientele is, is black, so shouldn't we be represented there? And I, I think it's like a brilliant scene. And I, that movie should have won Best Picture in 89. But like, it's brilliant because, holy cow, we're still having this conversation. Like, uh, how come there are no, uh, or so few female, uh, directors, so few, uh, women of color directing? Uh, and, uh, how come there are no brothers on the wall is a, is a question that could stand, uh, for a lot of different things that we're having discussions about right now in, in pop culture and, and who has creative control. Yeah. So anyway, anyway yeah, a little absolutely. aside, a little, a little Giancarlo uh, Esposito <laughs> aside, but like, uh, interestingly, he, as a young man, he used to play characters who had that, uh, disruptive quality about them, but, but also were powerless. <laughs> and, uh, and now he has this, like, he has, now that he's an older man, he, has this intensity and gravitas where you're like, well, maybe he does have power. Like that dude is scary. <laughs> he is, he is very scary. And he's not even like growling or snarling or overplaying it as a uh, Moff Gideon. He's just laying out the facts. And that's the cliffhanger is just Giancarlo Esposito telling it like it is. You have something I want. You don't understand it. I'm coming to get it. <laughs> like, oh my God, he is, you know, <laughs> he's going to storm into that cantina and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to put baby Yoda on the wall. There you go. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, it's interesting because um, I, I I did want to mention. Well, yeah, yeah. In terms of Giancarlo Esposito and, and his particular brand of menace, like especially as Gus Fring, it was a lot of stillness. And actually, with Gus Fring, uh, geniality, which was creepier than any kind of like snarling, yelling, was like Gus Fring smiling, and you're so creeped out. Um, but um, in this, we we only get a little bit of him. It's like a tease for the finale. But um, one thing that we did want to talk about is this idea of casting Giancarlo Esposito, who is a non-white man, as this sort of like um, ex-imperial, um, maybe proto-first order figure here um because you know at least in live action i know there's an exception in the animated series but um at least in live action these bad guys are usually white and they're usually british Werner herzog obviously not british but you know usually it's white british guys and that's sort of you know obviously darth vader is voiced by james earl jones but like that's that's been like sort of the the thing of the empire and the first order are these like fascistic white supremacist, you know, uh, goose stepping sort of, um, illusions. That's part of their whole thing. And so to have a non-white man in that role, I think is interesting. What do you, what do you think of that, of that choice there? Yeah. I mean, they're literally called stormtroopers and that's, um, straight out of Nazi Germany. And, uh, you look at, at, uh, the way that they've been constructed, even their colors and their symbols are very fascist. And uh, you, um, I remember when The Force Awakens came out and there was a lot of questions about who is this, who is this first character we see, this black man uh, played by John Boyega in a stormtrooper suit. Like, who is this guy? Before we right. knew a name, before we knew a background, he's he's in a stormtrooper suit, but that doesn't that doesn't add up. Like, people were puzzled by that. And I think one of the reasons they're puzzled is, well, one, they think, you know, they, I think there was an assumption at that point that all stormtroopers were clones, which of course we learned is not the case, at least not uh, a couple generations later. But um, the idea that um, we're so used to them feeling like space Nazis. And <laughs> as you and I were joking before, uh, the uh, we began recording – uh, you know, fascists have a long way to go toward diversifying. I think they yeah. really got to work on their representation, yeah. <laughs> but it's, um, you don't expect to see that. But of course, in the novels, uh, and, uh, and I think in some of the animated storytelling, uh, for sure, you do see, uh, you do see people of color as, as, as imperials and they, uh, whatever their other hateful flaws, they uh, apparently are not. Uh, intending to be like a white supremacy organization. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see him in this role. And as you say, first time it's happened in live action, Star Wars storytelling. Yeah. So here he is. Um, he's dressed in like almost all black. Uh, so, you know, he means business. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, like, I think, I think one, one way and he was kind of armored too. Like he has, yeah. looks like, partial battle armor like he might i can picture that dude putting on a helmet and picking up a blaster and charging into the fray you know um i i think that um oh the fast the best way to like you know quickly show us how scary someone is is to have them just like dispassionately dispatch Werner herzog <laughs> you're like whoa if he yeah. okay wow um, and just yeah. when he was warming up too, like he was just sort of chilling out. The yeah. client had, uh, I think my favorite line of the episode, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit, it's a little, it's a little bit silly, I suppose. But, uh, but when he goes, 
can I offer you a libation to celebrate the close of our shared narrative? I'm like, oh, that's how I'm going to say goodbye to everybody at uh, New Year's <laughs> Eve this year. <laughs> Let's also, close out like, our shared narrative. He also speaks for all of us when he goes, I want to see the baby. <laughs> We're all like, yes, I do. I was see waiting the baby. for like the client to like start cooing or like, who is a baby Yoda? Um, all right. So let us circle back to a few other things before that happened before Moff Gideon shows up. First of all, uh, let's talk about baby Yoda and the force. Obviously we, we talked, um, last week about like, Oh, maybe the baby Yoda doesn't have his force powers anymore. And this week they're like, uh, he definitely does. Uh, so we, uh, uh, that was an incorrect question, uh, that we asked. Um, but we see two sort of, uh, instances here. We see, the um, interference with the arm wrestling competition and then later the the force healing, which is sort of a payoff of something that we saw earlier um, him try to do to the Mandalorian earlier in the season. Um, so let's talk about the choke before we talk about the healing, which is the first time um, force healing has ever been used, right? In, a, in something that audiences have seen at this point. At this point, yes. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, um, and let's have no more discussion about this bizarre mystery. <laughs> um, but, but in terms of in terms of the force choking, you you raised an interesting question in in your write up on Vanity Fair this morning, which is why would Baby Yoda intervene on this arm wrestling and choke out Cara Dune, um, but but like sip and sip on some bone broth when they're having a full on on the ground brawl in an earlier episode um you 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 posited some theories around that do you think that there are like are legitimate reasons for that or is this like just a sort of plot a, a minor plot hole uh situation i don't know if it's a <clears throat> if it's a plot hole i think it, there are two possibilities here one that it has an actual explanation that in over the past uh seven episodes baby yoda's seen a lot of stuff like baby yoda's seen some violence and been threatened and been saved and so you know that little bone broth scene was chapter four right uh it was the bryce dallas howard episode so yeah Mm -hmm. and that comes right after the escape from um uh from uh the clutches of the empire on navarro so uh Baby Yoda was still a little like, what are these humans doing? But then, you know, you go through the battle there, uh, where they save the villagers. Then there's some violence on the ship, uh, during the heist. What was the other one? Uh, I'm missing one here. So chapter four and then chapter five was the, which episode? Okay. So we've got chapter four, Sanctuary, which is the bone broth episode, uh, as I will now forever call it the bone broth episode mm-hmm. uh chapter five the gunslinger uh is where oh you know, yes that, like, the young hot shot mm-hmm. right sort of thing and then chapter six the prisoner is the, is the heist so that's three episodes of ultra violence that baby yoda's yeah. seen and that maybe baby yoda's like fed up with it like baby yoda recognized the mudhorn was going to trash uh and destroy the mandalorian and and lift you know made it fly through the air with the greatest of ease and in this point he sees them kind of just doing an arm wrestling thing and then just force chokes Cara Dune and she is freaked. Now, so maybe Baby Yoda is just paying more attention than we're aware that he isn't just oblivious sort of baby's day out bumbling around. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Mr. Magoo style. Uh 
But, well, uh, I mean, yeah, and also like when he does it, it's not just like, oh no, my my human is in trouble. I need, or, or my Mandalorian is in trouble. I need to protect him. He's like. He he looks a little evil when he does it. To be honest with you, uh, it's, a it's interesting. Heavy. I mean, we used to have this cat named Sinatra, and we'd have <laughs> people come over, and uh, you know, Sinatra was like a sweetheart to me and my wife, but like he would just scratch other people, and everybody thought he was this mean cat. And it's like he's so sweet, but then every now and then your cat bites the visitor to your house, and I think that's uh, maybe what's happening here. But I, my second theory on this is that Baby Yoda has a little bit of Baby Clark Kent going on. You know, the joke with baby Clark Kent is like, he cries and wants a bottle and like burns a hole in the ceiling or he, uh, has a tantrum and smashes open his crib. Is that baby Yoda in this episode is established as somebody, and I, this is what I made my headline for the Vanity Fair recap, uh, is somebody he could hurt you, you know, and, um, we see that in a couple of different ways, not just the force choke, but then Baby Yoda gets into the cockpit and like almost oh, crashes yeah. the ship. Yeah. So like Baby Yoda is not just this cute, cuddly little green, um, you know, pudding pop, but is, uh, this, <laughs> <laughs> this, he's also like, he's got a little bit of the, uh, that kid from the Twilight Zone. I forget the name of the episode, but I remember his name was Anthony. Obviously. Oh, yeah. of course. Do you yeah. remember this episode where the kid has like basically godlike powers and so everybody in his family is just trying to placate him at all times and fearing his wrath? And the baby Yoda's got a little bit of that. Like he, uh, he's, a, he's strong and he's not 100%, uh, reasonable. <laughs> so there could be real damage done by this kid losing his temper. Or, you know, just making mischief. So I think we got a little sense of Baby Yoda's danger. His bad boy. We got bad boy Baby Yoda. Bad boy Baby Yoda. Um, so we got this email from, uh, you know, speaking of that near ship crash, we got this email from a listener, Chris, um, back for episode five, um, The Gunslinger. But um, Chris writes... Um, the Mandalorian makes some questionable decisions in episode five. He leaves Baby Yoda unattended twice, even though he's highly protective of him. He doesn't even take a moment to ask the Amy Sedaris character to look out for Baby Yoda before he takes off. Um, and, and I like that Cara Dune is like, we need a babysitter. Like, what are you doing? We're about to go do this thing and we don't have a babysitter. And he's like, Oh, it just struck me as very like, I don't know, single dad or whatever it is like, the kid can braid its own hair before it goes to school, right? And you're like, no, single Very dad. Very paper moon. Very paper moon. <laughs> Gotta have a babysitter if you're going to go off gallivanting and just sort of, like, that's what he's been doing. He's just like, I'm going to lock you in the closet and that's fine, right? I yeah, want to crack him a like window. A, he doesn't treat know? him like a baby. He treats him like a cat. Like, I'm yeah. just going to leave the cat aboard the ship. Yeah. And, um, and I think... This is an episode, and I don't think that's a plot hole. Like, I, I think no. in some ways it's a plot necessity. Like, you can't go gunslinging and have Baby Yoda, like, all the time. Right. Uh, you gotta put him aside. Uh, you gotta put Baby in the corner. <laughs> like, there's a, uh, uh, like, so there's a plot reason for that. But then in this episode, they kind of rationalize it because Mandalorian gets, like, awesome parenting advice from Quill. Yeah. In the context of Quill raising IG-11 to be his son, Butler. <laughs> I love, okay, so I love this part. So we're going to, we, we're, I promise we're going to come back to the force healing, mm -hmm. um, probably. Yes, we will. But yes, this is my favorite 
part of the episode. And I think this is where the episode has real depth to it in a way that I think some of the other episodes didn't feel like they had depth to them. And, and we, I've been talking a lot, you know, you and I have seen the rise of Skywalker. You and I will be talking about the rise of Skywalker on another Vanity Fair podcast, Little Gold Men. So if you're listening to this and you're like, why aren't they talking about rise of Skywalker? Yes, we have seen it. Yes, we will talk about it, but you have to go listen to another podcast to hear us do it. Um, but something that I've been talking to people this week about is sort of like, what do you want from a Star Wars movie? And do you want just action adventure or do you want some like deeper sort of soulful rumination on the nature of, of humanity or spirituality or existence or morality? And, um, I want both. Like, why not both? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think when Star Wars is at its best, it does both. Right. And, um, I think what we've been getting is a lot of the adventure without the soul. And I think in this episode where we see, um, this conversation about like, what make, you know, he, he, Quill is basically like, a droid isn't good or bad. A droid is like what you raise it to be. And we yes. see baby Yoda force choke and force heal. So it's like, baby Yoda isn't good or bad. Baby Yoda is what you raise him to be. Um, you know. Well, that adds credence to the notion that baby Yoda is doing what he's, is imitating what he's seen, which kids definitely do. Yeah, absolutely. And just sort of like, this idea, but, but like, uh, you know, you, you are far more Star Wars fluent than I am. What is your, what is your interpretation of like, um, you know, because we've got all these force users in Star Wars over the years. Um, and there's the dark side and the light. And there's this idea of like falling to the dark side or being seduced by the dark side. But what is your sense of what the franchise has tried to say about like, are there people who are inherently, light side users and inherently dark side users or does it or is it always a matter of choice or how you're raised or how you're nurtured i think it's nurture and experience with a little bit of how you're wired you know uh anakin skywalker if he didn't have uh, phenomenal cosmic powers would uh not be such a threat he'd just be you know, some jerk moisture farmer. Um, but I think that it's the idea that inherent in every being is potential. And that potential is given direction based on either the kindness or the cruelty that that kid faces. And with Anakin, you could say, well, he, he was nurtured by, you know, he had this slave mom who was badly... Uh, mistreated and he saw a lot of suffering as like a little kid, but then he was taken in by the Jedi. Yeah. Taken in basically as like a child soldier. And so maybe yeah. that was the mistake of the Jedi is their whole thing was, Oh yeah, he's too, he's even too old now. Right. And right. he's still just a little kid. Well, yeah. like actually maybe the Jedi training should have come later. Like at, at, at the age of, you know, what we would consider in our universe to be like, uh, you graduated from high school and now you're going to go off to your career. You know, like, like Ray's age, essentially, or Finn's age, uh, that maybe that's when you begin training people in the ways of the force, when they have the maturity and they've made the mistakes of youth, uh, and, uh, that have learned from them and been, and had the opportunity to be shown both cruelty and kindness. So I always felt like, that's the evolving message of Star Wars. Uh, uh, and I think, I know we're not going to get into The Rise of Skywalker here, but I think it's reflected in that movie too. Where yeah. you have a character like Rey who has seen both and knows which way she wants to gravitate. I lo- and- Yeah, yeah. I, I That push and pull of the dark side, light side, and this idea of like 
Um, we've talked about this before. Bad dads of Star Wars. You and I have talked off air about the bad dads of Star Wars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, or, or, you know, or the dead, it's usually dead moms and bad dads, unfortunately. Um, the moms don't get a chance to be bad moms, but, um, and, 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 and sort of the, the inherited trauma. Uh, that comes from that. Um, yeah, and, and the great, that if you are incredibly powerful, you are increasingly susceptible to the seductions of, of the dark side. That's, that's definitely a thing that goes hand in hand. But I really love the messaging of this episode. This, and, and the time it takes. You know, this episode, like last week's, is a little longer. And mm-hmm. the time it has for this IG-11 montage, which is lovely to watch the patience of Kuil as he just sort of like <laughs> slowly rehabilitates this droid. It's, it's both funny and I genuinely think touching, you know? It's, it was actually, I'm just thinking of when IG-11 drops the container on the lizard. And, like, <laughs> and then by the end of the montage, re- sees the lizard, you yeah. know? And I think I, that's a joke, is that the lizard doesn't get squashed the second time. But also, I think that's really beautiful and done in a super subtle way. Uh, you know, like, we have these phrases, jump the shark. I think, yeah. see the lizard. Uh, is not necessarily bumper sticker quality or something <laughs> you're going to see on a t-shirt at Star Wars Celebration. But see the lizard is actually very meaningful. It's just because you can destroy something and you think it has no meaning and no significance doesn't mean you should. You should, um, you should make your choices deliberately if you're going to act in a, in a way that's destructive. Uh, do it with purpose. I mean, for good, you know what I mean? If you have to fight, fight, but don't just, don't just stomp all over things and see the lizard is a nice little, it's not spoken in the movie, but I have spoken and, uh, and I think it's a nice, a nice little gesture between this Ugnaught who is a, 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 a free man, like a freed slave, uh, indentured servitude was how he, uh, described himself as a member of the, uh, uh, imperial army or imperial services and that he lit, he spent it that way for three human lifetimes before earning his way out. And I think a character like that who has been, uh, overwhelmingly exposed to cruelty still somehow recognizes that it's wrong and doesn't express it himself or doesn't perpetuate it himself. So see the lizard. I think that's a nice uh, I love little it. theme. Well, yeah, and he also, you know, via these conversations with Kara, who is like, uh, immediately wants to write him off because he's ex-imperial. Right. We see, we see how quickly she agrees to this job when she finds out that the client is ex-imperial. You know, she's like, no, 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 he's ex I'm in, you know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then she meets Kuil and she's like, she's like, this guy, I mean, why are we trusting him? He's ex-imperial. And, and, uh, you know, Kuil is very like, um, dignified in his sort of like, I'm proud of how I worked my way out of there. And like, I didn't have a choice and I did the best I could and all this sort of stuff. And so this idea of like, don't write me off because of like Mm -hmm. this thing that happened, like, and Kuil is just like the coolest, nicest person we've met on the show. And also like the, the wisdom and the slow training, all that, like it feels very, like he is the Yoda figure of the season, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, versus, you know, we've got a baby Yoda, but that thing is, you know, choking people. It doesn't know what it's it doing. It doesn't have really. wisdom. That's no. what's missing. Yeah. It's not a wise creature. Right. But mm-hmm. Quill is wise. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so happy he's back. I, uh, I, you know, he seemed apparently dead in the end, but like, 
you know, IG-11's back. He was smoking a little, but we don't know that he's dead, so so we'll see. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The IG-11 thing, so that's the other thing, right, is like the Mandalorian has had this um, prejudice towards droids um, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole thing. And um, Kuil is trying to like sort of... Which we saw really, really po- like pointed out and underlined uh, and highlighted in last week's episode. And so, um, Khalil is like, no, you got to give him a chance. And I think we're setting up IG 11 to do something incredibly heroic that the Mandalorian has to like reconsider his values in the finale. Cause, cause Khalil says very pointedly, he doesn't attack anymore, but he can like protect. He can protect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so like, it's possible that like baby Yoda won't even make it back to Moff Gideon if IG 11 like, pops out of the ship and protects him somehow from those scout troopers. You don't know. We don't know. But like, that's a possibility. But I feel like the IG-11 is going to get to do something heroic that's going to bookend him trying to kill the child in the first episode. Right? So, mm-hmm. Possibly. All right. Uh, so let's get back to this four ceiling thing. I want to say uh, quickly before we go there, I really love that uh, Grief Karg is like, oh, we'll make bed by the riverbank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll go in and I was like, oh, does this planet have both lava and a riverbank? Two ecosystems? And I was like, oh no, it's a lava river. Lava okay. river. <laughs> <laughs> Still only one ecosystem. The floor is lava. <laughs> <laughs> the lava riverbank. Okay. So, so Grief Cargo gets mauled by this pterodactyl thing and Baby Yoda toddles over and force seals him. Um, and as I said, this is, you know, um, as of this recording, we have not seen this, uh, in any Star Wars property. What do you make, make of the Mandalorian getting to debut this like new force power that we've never seen before, um, in a Star Wars? What do I make of it? Like why? I don't know. Just sort of like, um, uh, it seems like a big thing. Like, uh, well, here's, here's my, here's my less inside the fandom experience of The Last Jedi. People freak out when new force powers are introduced. Yeah. And so this is just sort of like done in, in this Disney Plus series. I mean, I guess to me, I would, I'll just say, to me, it signals like, um, how important these Disney Plus series will be for canon. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can skate by not watching the animated series 
and mm-hmm. still feel like you're bopping along in the universe. But I think they're really going to, you just like the way that Marvel's going to make their Disney plus shows interconnect with their movies. I think this is really going to like, you're really going to need to watch these Disney plus shows to really be in the ongoing narrative of star Wars. You know, well, I also think this, what we're seeing with the development of, of things like force healing and expansion of what it means to be a Jedi and to be force sensitive, uh, goes back to something that the creative forces behind Lucasfilm have been trying to do for the last several years, which is recognize that if the force as a storytelling device is going to endure year to year into the future, it has to be about more than fighting in a cool way. You know, much as many martial arts disciplines are not just about fighting. They're about centering. It's about focus. It's about discipline uh, and, and kind of asceticism. And I think it's a recognition that the force can't just be about leaping and hurling rocks or ripping down an air conditioner and throwing it at your opponent or twirling your lightsaber through the air or zapping them with lightning. Like the force has to be about more than violence. And this, you know, Luke said as much in the last Jedi and demonstrates it by not using force powers to confront Kylo Ren and defeat him in battle, but using force powers to project in images of himself that inspires people throughout the galaxy and, and halts the first order in its tracks and distracts like that force projection was also a new force power. Right. right, right. And uh, again, we will not get into that too much here, but, but the idea of what the force can do in terms of the transference of energy and connection is another new force power that we're seeing. And force healing is kind of like, okay, like that's a, that's a traditional superpower. You know, <laughs> you know, if you, it's, uh, uh, in a way Wolverine has it, you know, and, uh, video games have always had, you know, you eat this, uh, eat this heart and you're, 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 you will be healed, you know, and, uh, your energy levels will go back up. And, so force healing, I don't, healing is not a new power, but in Star Wars it is. And I think it, it shows the expansion of what the force can do beyond just battle. And that I think is super important. Yeah, the only thing that I will say about it is that um it is a potentially I don't want to uh, I hate using this phrase cuz it's like such a uh you know dig your feet in fanboy thing to say, but it is a potentially promise breaking force power, right? Because it's like it's just going to be tricky introducing it cuz if like who can force heal? Can anyone force heal? Like, if anyone could force heal, why would anyone ever die in a battle? You know, sort of thing. So, just something to... Well, Joanna, we can't. But there are consequences to force healing. Sure. Oh, no, I uh, maybe. <laughs> it's draining or whatever. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, that's the, th- that's the thing that they have to be careful about with force. With something like force healing. Here's what I like so about... More so than, like, astral projection yeah. or oh, something yeah. like that. Which is, like, in a... In a fight situation, the stake, you know, like, if the Mandalorian gets majorly hurt, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, like, let's say the Mandalorian gets, gets like, mortally wounded, then Baby Yoda's going to have to not be there for that, because if Baby Yoda's there, then Baby Yoda would heal the Mandalorian. You know, there's there's just questions around it. I'm not I'm not opposed to it. I'm just saying no, no, there are but questions I, around it. We're a little hamstrung because... um. 
we know more than we can discuss. But I think what we've okay, I'll say this. So let's just go off of the Last Jedi. Is that the um, and 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 the Mandalorian? Because when Baby Yoda uses the Force, what happens to Baby Yoda? He kind of goes into hibernation. Even in right. this, when he heals Grief Karga, like he collapses afterward, and that's just. It's not like he grew a new arm for Grief Carter. You know, he just like healed a tear in his skin. So it wasn't necessarily, I mean, do you think Grief was mortally wounded? Was he dying? They said the poison. Yeah, they said the the, poison poison was spreading. Like, I think he was mortally wounded. Yeah. Um, So that's a big save. And, uh, and obviously he makes a big impact on Grief. But I think, um, the, the force is not as, is not an endless resource mm, so that yeah. if you, if you, if you project yourself across the galaxy, it takes so much out of you that your life force evaporates. Like you are, you are spending your coins, you know, you are using your power and depleting yourself. And so I think that's what preserves it as like, it's not just endless force healing. Uh, you get a force seal and you get a force seal. Look under your chair. Everybody gets a force seal. Like it's, uh, right. and then, but, the, but then I think, I just think that if you're going to do that, you need to make those. So I, I, I think I would have preferred it if like, um, the, the, I don't, does the baby, does the child sleep for the rest of the episode? Like he did last time when yeah. he used the force in a big way. Okay. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. You just need to like be able to show us the limitations of this thing. Okay. He can force heal, but it really takes it out of him and it's, he can't do it for, he can't be doing it for everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I'm saying. Well, you know, there's, there's so many super, it's like we talk about this with Marvel, like, you know, a character like Scarlet Witch, Wanda, right? Can like implant, have you see whatever she wants you to see. And it's such a huge power that you're like, how do we even have this character in this fight who can do this huge thing? And the answer is you often have to have Wanda sidelined because you can't actually have her in the fight because she's too powerful. So that's all I'm saying. Um, all right, so I think we're close to wrapping it up. Um, the last thing I think I want to say about this um, is, uh, you know, things look dire for our heroes. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we don't know how they're going to get out of this scrape. Uh, is there is there anything that you want to see uh, in the finale? Well, my favorite one of my what, the, my favorite line after the "Let's enjoy a libation to celebrate the close of our shared narrative" is like the favorite line is when Cara Dune looks at the Mandalorian and she's like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Moff Gideon shows up and there's this tremendous pageantry and he's flanked by these Death Troopers and his collapsing wings of his uh of his uh of his Tie Fighter curtsy to the ground of Navarro and then he gets out and to the swells of majestic music with his cape flowing and she's like <laughs> do i know you like where are you who who's who's this guy what's he gonna do and uh i kind of love that that they're just like and uh i guess we have a new villain there's a new new kid in town new guy in town um yeah uh yeah and and there should always be like a little bit of humor in star wars to undercut the like um (laughs) the the, like crazy high high stakes that we're dealing with but it's high stakes the baby the baby's in peril 
Um, oh, Khalil gets scooped up like a volleyball at the end. Just yeah. like, oof, they skid. The guy doesn't even slow down his speeder. He just like zooms right by and snatches him up by the, by the, by the little, uh, swaddle. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the only other thing I want to say is that the, um, Gina Carano told us that her very first day, her very first day on the Mandalorian, she was on that blurg. So that's just to give you a sense of sort of the like, out of order way in which, you know, TV is filmed sometimes, especially TV that involves like such, um, you know, hot, like production and production wise, like it probably, if you're going to use blurgs, you might want to film like all your blurg stuff together or whatever. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the blurg stuff at the beginning of the season and the blurg stuff at the end of the season or stuff like that. So, uh, we know that Gina Carano's first thing she did was write a blurg. So, um, uh, that was in this episode. So that's just an interesting thing to know. And, and like the, the, the ongoing question mark of like, when is Pedro Pascal actually in there in that suit? And I think what's true is that, Pe- you know, Gina told us she worked with Pedro. So like, we know that Pedro is in some seas with Gina. I would like to think it was some of these conversations that we had in this episode, like on, on the way to Navarro. I thought they were good mm-hmm. conversations. I'd like to think Pedro is under the mask for those. Um, but I think what, what is true is that the later the films were, the scenes were filmed in production, the more Pedro was there because he was cast later. It's this whole thing. You know what I mean? So in terms of the like, who's in the suit when it's, it's hard to know. Um, but I think. If I had to guess, I would say he's in more of this episode than we've seen in the past episodes. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of guesswork about this. And, uh, my feeling is the more action you're seeing the Mandalorian do, the less likely that's going to be Pedro Pascal. Because we know from our own conversation with Emily Swallow on this show that, um, who plays the armorer, you can barely see when you're in the Mandalorian armor. And so whoever is running around doing that work, uh, is, is, by necessity, a stunt person, because you're not going to put, uh, you know, an actor, your lead actor in that kind of danger running through a, you know, a rice paddy and jumping into water or off a cliff. Like it's just not going to happen. So the more you see the Mandalorian, uh, throwing down, the more likely it's going to be somebody else. But I would, you know, but I would just, you know, and, and I have no, like, I'm not, I'm not even that fussy about it. Like, you know, as as everyone has brought up, James Earl Jones gave an incredible performance as Darth Vader without ever being in that suit once. So like it's you know it's not it's not a deal breaker for me in any respect it, that Pedro Pascal is not in that suit that often. But I would like to think that in some of these scenes, like when he and and um, Kara are having a chat or or Quill are having a chat, that Pedro's in there. And I, I, there's part of me that feels like you can feel that this episode. I think just lands deeper now maybe he wasn't in the suit at all in this episode and i just sound like a fool to people who worked on the show but um i my i just have a feeling a forced tingle uh (laughs) that maybe he was there for some of this so we'll we'll see um all right anything else you want to mention before we call it a day um i don't think this could possibly resolve in any way that satisfyingly answers questions that everybody has about the origin of baby Yoda or what comes next or what's been going on this whole time. And so I think Mandalorian season two is our, our wait for that is going to be much like the wait between saga films where we're endlessly debating possibilities. Uh, and, uh, 
I'm braced for that. I'm braced for the the next episode to be action packed and reveal a little bit of information, and then uh, reveal just enough that we have tons more questions, and then that's going to be it for a while. Right. And that being said, they they you know have been already filming. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, we're going to so... get it. I'm just saying. I think it's not going to be like. Let's resolve this. It's not going to be like Fargo, where this is the this is the, this is the Baby Yoda season, and it's all easily and carefully sure. tied up in a bow. I think it's going to be like it's going to be a, a, like a serial in the sense of uh, this is the cliffhanger, and uh, if you want to know more, you're gonna have to tune in over the next couple <laughs> years <laughs> for season two, three, four, and five. Tune in next time. Um, all right. So, like I said, you can hear the two of us talking about um, The Rise of Skywalker and whether or not it connects in any meaningful way to The Mandalorian um, on this week's episode of Little Golden Men uh, that will be out on Thursday uh, morning. So won't have a ton of the Rise of Skywalker spoilers, but we will be discussing uh, the film uh, and our takes on it, reenacting our our uh, experience uh, at the after party. I will say though, on uh, it, it seems appropriate to say it on this podcast. We, you know, we got to see, we got to go to the premiere. Uh, we were lucky enough to go to the premiere. We were also lucky enough to be seated like two rows behind the Mandalorian crew. So like Gina Carano, Pedro Pascal, Deb Chow, uh, Anthony Bresnikin bulldozed um, his own wife to get to say hi to Ming-Na Wen. Um, oh, no, you're making me sound like a jerk. <laughs> no, no, no. It was really cute and funny. You were like, oh my God, she's here. And you got really excited. There were lots of people uh, around, but I was really excited for Ming-Na Wen because we're from the same town. It was really, really cute. Um, Emily Swallows. Yeah, so we, we were like, right, we were in the Mandalorian section, which was really fun for us. Um, no, you weren't a jerk at all. It was very, you were just excited. It was really cute. And, um, uh, now I've got some apologizing to do. No, 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 no. You don't, you, you don't have to apologize. Um, uh, you maybe have not lived until you've seen Pedro Pascal wearing a silken, like, bathrobe as couture, uh, to the Rise of Skywalker premiere. It was pretty, pretty incredible. If you haven't seen those photos. Okay. Uh, until next time, Anthony, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me nowhere, man. I'm hiding out until the holidays <laughs> are over. No, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter at Bresnikan and of course, like you on the pages of vanityfair.com. We, um, we will have a lot of the Rise of Skywalker content coming in the next few days. So you really are going to want to bop over to Vanity Fair. And uh, I will just preview really quickly. The good thing that I think is that we have very different um, takes on the Rise of Skywalker over at VF.com, which means you're just going to get whatever you feel about the movie. I think there will be content there to serve you uh, from someone on our staff, which is fun. Um and, you know, how it should be. Yes, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This, and we will see you next time. And once again, we have to wait a week and a half for the next Mandalorian episode. It'll be out, I believe, on the 27th uh, or 28th. And uh, we will have an episode up then. I will be in London. But have microphone, we'll travel. And uh, we'll see you after the holidays. <laughs> I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. 
So please join me every week for the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.